Welcome to Beyond Reason. A show for those who dare to have an open mind. Now here's your host, Justin Cancellari. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new Beyond Reason, the show for those who dare to have an open mind. I am your host, Justin Cancellari, and tonight I've got an interesting guest on, Sharman Smith. Sharman is a Democratic candidate for the presidency of 2020. Sharman is a military brat and spouse, was born in the projects, and lives in a mansion. Her parents were violent alcoholic pedophiles, and her mother was a pro with a coat hanger. She had terminated multiple pregnancies and not all her own. Her mother tried several times to terminate her daughter unsuccessfully. Charmin is pro-choice because she knows what it's like to be born to a mother who doesn't want you and a father who wants you for all the wrong, for all the wrong reasons. She supports the death penalty for pedophiles and believes that if we shine a light in the darkest corners of our society, we can end this nightmare in our lifetime. Charmin is the author of Taming the Tida, a fictional life story where she wins the reality TV show Who Wants to Be President. While the book is fictional, she draws from her personal life experiences to create the backstory. Charmin, welcome to Beyond Reason. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you doing? I am doing great. And to have somebody who is a Democratic candidate for the 2020 election, I'm feeling pretty honored and blessed right now. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on your show. It really means a lot to me. We have a lot to be grateful for, and it's 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 time to celebrate it. Absolutely. So before we get started, um, I, I did do your bio, but tell us a little bit what got you on the road to the, the Democratic candidate. Well, I have been thinking about politics for probably as long as I've been alive. And and honestly, as I, I learn more about the genetic connection to the presidency, I'm able to piece together how some of this stuff was laid out hundreds of years before I got here. And I'm just part of a long series of things that I'm, you know, just beginning to learn to understand thanks to Ancestry.com and the ability to click leaves for a thousand years. Um, I began this process you know, really, uh, I've been thinking about it my whole life. My first date with my husband, um, he asked what he thought was going to be a next level question. And I came back with what I felt like was a next level response. He told me that he wanted to be president and asked me if I could be the first lady. I told him that I wanted to be president. And I asked him if he could be the first dude, his job would be tougher than mine. I'd have dozens of first ladies to give me an example of how I should behave. He might be the first dude. And that's a, quite a tough job. And from the last election, we, I think a lot of us can look around and see that um, we may not have an idea of what it is our first dude supposed to look like, but we're pretty sure it wasn't Bill Clinton. Right. <laughs> so when so I we have always discussed politics, my husband and I, from our first date, and so when did I get on this process? I, I think I've been on it my whole life. But when I wrote my book, I started writing it in 2014, and it was a fictional story. Um, I knew it was going to be huge. I just knew it was going to create this huge movement, and I would 
take the movement and the proceeds from the book sales and I'd be able to fund my own campaign. And I, I wrote the book, Taming the Titta. Now, Titta is a Hawaiian word for an aggressive female personality who will bite you. She's got a serious case of um, RBF. You know, she's got the stink eye. She just gives you a look. Most people look at me and just walk away. They they rather not deal with me than, um, you, you know, worry about having a, a conversation with me. I have a look about me. I understand that. So I, I definitely related to the idea of the titta, you know, um, and that Michelle Obama said that if, in order to understand Barack, you needed to understand Hawaii, but they didn't take the time to explain Hawaii to the rest of us mainlanders. And living there for almost two years while my husband was stationed at Pearl Harbor was an educational event that I, I think the rest of America is ready to experience. Um, the, the book took over my life. It, um, it, was, it was all we talked about. And, and this fictional story about politics, religion, and a reality TV show giving Republicans a candidate capable of beating Hillary Clinton in 2016, I self-published January of 2015, six months before Trump ever announced his campaign. And uh, a lot of what I wrote played out in real life, just not quite the way I, I wrote it. Um, and, and any similarities between real events and what I fictionally wrote months or years before it happened just makes the reading better, you know, post-election. Um, if you're looking for an opportunity to get lost in 400 pages of an alternative election where a woman wins the presidency and unites the country behind the common cause of eradicating pedophilia, then I have 400 pages available for you for sale on Amazon or Walmart or Barnes and Noble or whatever .com service you like to purchase stuff from. Um, so it, this, this book kind of took over my life. And when, when Trump came out and the political landscape changed so drastically in such a short period of time, it, it became, you know, everybody has a dream and everybody has watched this last couple of years of political um, changes unfold and they, we all have our own opinions and our own perspectives. But I, I wrote this book with the belief that we could unite our country and we're more torn apart now than we have ever been. And it, there's nothing quite like watching your dream turn into a nightmare. And for me, running now in 2020, I, I when I wrote this book, I, I wrote it with the intention of it being a trilogy. And after things started changing so drastically, in the real world, it just didn't seem like the right time to write another fictional book. It seemed like the right time to jump in and throw my name in the hat and try to do something to fix a lot of what I see are our issues. And I, I think there, there's not so much wrong with our country that it can't be corrected with a little common sense and compassion. And the country needs a mom. And I'd like to think I'm a good one. Well, I, I mean... This, this past election was the most ridiculous 
shit slinging show you've ever seen. Even worse oh, than we get to cuss. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there, there there are no restraints here. Um, so it's a shit show, right? Yeah, it's I mean, not the it Trump was, train anymore. It looks like the poo poo express to me, and that's another <laughs> way that taunts me every single day because my name is Charmin, just like the toilet paper, only with an S. Oh, I'm smarter. I'm stronger. I smell better than the TP, and I will clean up DC. Wait, when Trump announced Pence as his vice presidential candidate and TP was everywhere, it taunts me. You just don't understand. One of the things that Trump has ruined about our country and politics in general was our ability to commiserate with each other and, and agree on how much we disliked all of our elected politicians. And we could mo- make fun of them together and we could poke fun. And Trump has ruined that because he can dish it out, but he can't take it. And with a name like Charmin, I have been taking it for as long as I have lived and I have developed a sick sense of humor from it. You don't keep a name like this without developing a sense of humor (laughs) along the way. And I believe I can get us talking again. I can get us laughing again. I can get us joking again. Now, there's going to be some serious issues. There's going to be some great new ideas that you're going to wonder why you didn't put them together like that. And I'm controversial. I'm funny. I'm smart. I have a ton of great experiences. And I've got the whole strange presidential DNA that is is something that we don't really talk about and we don't really understand. But thanks to Ancestry.com, I can explain it in a way that we can all understand it. And we know the story whether we realize it or not, because Hollywood's been telling it to us for years. All the presidents are related to King John, Lackland, Plantagenet, whatever the heck it is that he ultimately chose to go by. But it's part of a royal bloodline that um, has been controlling England and northwestern Europe for a thousand years. And we have heard the stories of King Arthur uh, and the Knights of the Round Table mm-hmm. and King Richard the Lionheart and Robin Hood. But we, we don't really understand the, the reality. You know, the movies are great, but they're not exactly historically accurate. Richard was gay and he had no interest in producing an heir. And he chose his 11 year old nephew to be his heir. And then he went off to fight in the third crusades and he left his brother, John behind to manage the kingdom. And John was the one beaten and raping and taxing everybody to death. John was the one making everybody miserable When Robin Hood came back and he was stealing money from the sheriffs, he was stealing money from John. Now, King John is he's credited with signing the Magna Carta. okay? but he didn't volunteer to sign the Magna Carta and he killed Richard and he killed Arthur. Arthur was never king. The world would be a different place today if Arthur had been king. We have been living under John's rule for a thousand years, and we're not even really talking about him. So he signs the Magna Carta, but he didn't volunteer to sign it. He was forced to sign it by the barons who were in his kingdom, and they took a lot of that tax money and it was up to those barons to share that tax money with the people in their 
their kingdom, their community, who they were responsible for. They, they were the landowners, and they needed to trickle down that money and give it back to the people who were working and were living and paying those taxes. And this is where trickle-down economics started. And this wasn't the first time in history the poor people had risen up and taken back some of their tax money from the wealthy. This is something that's been going on for a long time. And we, what we have now in this country is the ability to um, come together and bargain collectively. We have laws. We're the greatest union that was ever created. We, we have the ability to work for the American citizens and for any humans who want to be American citizens. We should be looking to expand our country. We shouldn't be looking to turn away people because they're immigrants. And I have a very different perspective on immigration than our current president. And that is probably because I am a Mayflower descendant. And I like the immigrants that come to this country, even if they're dirty and mean and they bring diseases and crime. And I'm not afraid of prosecuting them. I support the death penalty for pedophiles, violent murderers and violent rapists. I think that if we have real consequences for people, then they'll stop committing these horrible crimes. But I, I am not afraid of someone because of their skin color or where they came from. Now, I, I can stand up here and I can tell you all day long that I am sorry for the atrocities that my ancestors have committed on this land, right. or I can step up and I can step into my birthright and I can try to fix it before we screw it up anymore. And so that's who I am. I am, I, I have been a homeless single mom in my 20s. I have been a bill collector, a mortgage underwriter. I negotiated massive repurchase demands for defaulted mortgage assets when the collapse hit in 2008. I'm, most people, are not interested in this job. The The desire to be president doesn't bubble up in everybody. There's only, it, most people can look at this job and just say, no way, forget yeah. it. <laughs> Good luck. And here I am. It is all I think about. I want the budget with the line item veto. I want to underwrite, I want to manually underwrite that budget, like the best mortgage application you have ever seen. I want to do it from the concept of how much people need to make to live, to pay their mortgage, to pay rent and electric and food and utilities. Please, everybody has to be good at something. Let me do this for us as Americans. I have been born for this. I come from a horrible family and my mother was my parents were violent abusive alcoholic pedophiles i have ptsd from the traumas that i survived as a child and i bring a very different perspective to everything i do because of it but i i my my mother was a 
uh, she was a pro with a coat hanger. She had terminated multiple pregnancies and not all her own, but she tried to terminate mine many, many times. And she told me throughout the remainder of her life that she always knew there was something wrong with me because she couldn't get rid of me. And it took me a really long time to realize there wasn't nothing wrong with me and nothing anybody has ever been able to do to me has been able to break me. I have been here. I've been in strange places at just the right time. And I have learned a ton. And I believe that I have been brought here for the purpose of doing this. Awesome. So how, I mean, it is the craziest thing, right? And it is the craziest dream to have. And then everywhere I turn, there's some um, campaign telling you just do it. Whatever your craziest dream is, whatever it is you dream about, go after it and do it. The world needs you. And this is the biggest one of all, right? Uh Right. And um, I think we've all known for a long time it was going to take a crazy white woman to break this whole thing loose for us. And here I am, the craziest white woman of them all. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, you know, I, I come from a, a really bad home. I had never seen a hug until I was almost five years old, and it was from a a, a black family, a mom, a beautiful black mom. She, this big old hug that would put all some of your broken pieces back together. And I had never seen it before. And it was fascinating to me. And hugs really can heal the world. And there, you know, I, I, I can't hug everybody, but I can send air hugs out to everybody. And there has to be a way for us to come together, all of us, to heal this, to make this better. It, as a bill collector, the toughest message I ever delivered to debtors was it was time to reevaluate their priorities. And America, it is time to reevaluate our priorities. And I'd like to help us do that. Absolutely. I do commend you for being a strong woman for what you went through. I mean, not very many people could say that they lived through that and survived on the other side to be where you're at right now. So I commend you for that. So one thing that I was seeing is that um, you believe that Trump and Putin are the dragon beast and bear beast. I'm assuming from the book of revelation, correct? Absolutely. Have you read the book of revelation? I have. Have you read it post election? I haven't recently, no. You need to pick it up and reread it post-election. It is a completely different document today than it was before. I have read it many times. The Woman of Revelations became a, a figure for me while I was writing the book. And I am one of the, the most rotten people that you will ever meet in your life. I absolutely adore it when the come to my house i always have so much fun with them they're so excited when they see me and i'm so friendly to them because people are never friendly to them and i'm always so excited when they come (laughs) i've been known to send them away in tears and i have gotten better about that as i've gotten older because i i learned that that actually the they send these young recruits, these people who are new to the religion, out to people's houses and tell them you have to recruit so many people. 
people in order to become a part of our religion. So here they have found somebody who is broken and who is falling apart and is in desperate need of some sort of hope, and they have fallen upon the Jehovah Witnesses, and now they're sending them out to strangers' houses and telling them the only way to get into heaven is to convert a dozen people. That is some spiritual warfare there that is terrifying. So I have tried to be nicer to the Jehovah Witnesses, but when I was writing this book, two two big black men came to my house, they were Jehovah Witnesses, and I was so excited to see them, I'm afraid I might have scared them. (laughs) Um, I immediately asked them if they would tell me about the woman of Revelations, that she had been on my mind a lot recently, and I wanted to know more about her. And they flipped open their book, and they were so excited, and they went straight to the back, and the first guy, he read a few lines, and then he looked up at me, and he started backing away, and he said, they fear her. And then they closed their book and turned around and walked away. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm one of those weird people that likes to talk about religion, and I like to do it from a completely different perspective, and these funny stories follow me all the time. So, I had to make the book about re- politics and religion because nobody ever wants to talk about either. And I figured if I stuck it in a reality TV show, everybody would pay attention. (laughs) And the only way we're really going to change our country is if we get people involved in the process, because we can't be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people unless the people participate in the process. True. So, I thought, ooh, this will get people going. Um, But I have learned through this process through the last couple of years that my, my family line, my DNA, my family tree actually has 500 years documented religious drama with the Queen of England and the Catholic Church. Wow. Right. (laughs) So, one of my grandfathers, like great, great, whatever, um, is John Rogers, the martyr. He's considered the editor of the Bible he was responsible in England for con- for managing the p- people who translated it from Greek into English. And he laid it out from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelations, in the flow that we read it in today. And so, literally two weeks before I learn about Grandpa, I make some statement to my um, producer and my screenwriter that I really think that the the world's getting to a place where they're ready to accept the concept that the Bible is just a book of short stories about good people and bad people and proof that God loves assholes. (laughs) And so, my screenwriter and my producer were a little shocked. They didn't really know what to think when I said that. And then two weeks later, I find out John Rogers is my grandpa, and that is the coolest line. I didn't even know about that when I wrote the book. When I wrote the book to trace back to King John, um, I followed the path that I knew led to a president. So, my mom's dad was a polk. And the Polks are super awesome. James K. Polk, he's 11th president of the United States. He believed in manifest destiny. And I, too, believe I can manifest my destiny, which is one of the reasons I wrote my book. 
just seems like maybe I manifested it all screwed up because Trump is destroying everything. Right. And I got to fix this before it all goes, you know, completely haywire. Um, but, uh, but so James K. Polk is really cool because he goes right through Scotland and Robert the Bruce. And if you've watched the movie Braveheart, Robert mm-hmm. the Bruce is the guy at the end with Mel's wife's hanky who rallies all the Scots. And um, Amazon is doing an original about Robert the Bruce now called The Outlaw King. And Chris Pine plays my great granddaddy. Oh, wow. And I can't wait to see that it comes out on November the 9th, which was my brother's birthday, but it's also the day Trump was elected. So it just seems like the perfect opportunity, like the universe is conspiring to give Trump an introduction to my family, my part, my portion of the family tree. Interesting. Right. And that's the side that went through Robin Hood and also actually Jesse James. So that's just a really cool portion of my tree. You have way more than I, I think I probably do in my family tree for famous people. <laughs> well, I didn't expect to get my mom's mom's side. I didn't expect that. That was a super big tree. I knew her dad was a poke, but I knew nothing about the Rogers. Okay. And my grandma was so extra. She was the original cougar. She passed off her oldest four daughters as her sisters so she could date younger men. The stories my sisters told about my grandma are hilarious. Oh, my goodness. It is. If she'd have known how awesome her bloodline was, she'd have been impossible to deal with. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I come from a long line of beautiful women that never looked or acted their age. And it has been just such a treat to figure it out. And history is so much more interesting when you realize how you're related to it. Absolutely. So so I, I have this amazing house in Ohio and I have had it on the market for over two years and I finally got an offer to sell it. It's a historic mansion in central Ohio. Okay. And I have, you know, I have a love hate relationship with this house. If you've ever had a historic home, you understand the love hate relationship, you know, love the 12 foot tall ceilings, hate trying to figure out why the pipes drip. Right. Um, right. It um so it's it's amazing to me because the house was was built by it was one of the houses that was first built by a real architect in Ohio and it's a famous Ohio architect so this one of the reasons this architect is famous is because when Warren G Harding ran for president he wasn't a traditional politician he was a newspaper man and he decided to run a very different presidential campaign than his competitors and so what he did was he hired a professional architect to come put a front porch on his house and he launched a front porch campaign. And instead of 
traveling all over the country like his competitors and doing rallies, he invited newspapers and television shows to come sit on his front porch and interview him through his front porch campaign. And he won and people loved him and he was amazing. And the architect who put on his front porch is the architect who built my house. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Warren G. Harding's also one of my cousins of my grandma's side. <laughs> the universe has conspired to give me this gift that I should use in some way to run for president. It just makes perfect sense. Um, and I'll be honest with you. I, I, I truly believed in the beginning that I could, the way campaign finance laws are written, if I use the house as part of my campaign, I would be able to um, use campaign donations to fix it because it's falling apart. Okay. It's a 130 year old house. It needs some love. It needs a lot of love. But then, but then candidates started getting arrested for their weird campaign usages. So I oh. figured I should probably go ahead and take the offer to sell the house now before I get myself into any trouble. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, th- so I have just a ton of weird stories that have brought me to the reason for why I want to run for president. You know, it's, there's just always something pointing me in the right direction. And there's one more funny, right? Um, Wonder Woman comes out next year, 1984 comes out. They announced it on November the 1st. It'll be in theaters and that is my birthday. And so that is clearly just more proof that I need to be running for president because if there was ever a time for Wonder Woman to come forward from hiding and step forward and help save us from the Nazis, it's now. (laughs) Absolutely. I I mean, we're at a stage in U.S. history that... I not. I never to, thought I'd see. Yeah, I mean, not to put a pun on it, but trumps pretty much everything else that we've seen in the in the past. Um, yeah. Now, I'm assuming Trump is going to try and run. So oh, he's already filed his paperwork Has for he? 2020. Okay. He's already accepting donations. He's already paying people through his campaign. He has the the mechanism. The machine is is already running. Um, I don't think they'll impeach him. I, I don't want Pence anyways. They need to censor him so that he can't do anything else. Um, I'm honestly November shocked that they haven't already. Here, Well, it's because the Republicans are in control and they're all under the Russian thumb and there's money that we don't understand. And there is so much stuff going on that you just, I can't even wrap my brain around all of it. Right. So I have all these fun things that, that point me towards why I want to do it and help get people talking again and, and, and get people involved you know, but there are things that, that are in my life that are also scary. And they have been going on for a couple of years. Um, in 2015, after I wrote this book, after Trump came out, his campaign was getting big. Um, Bernie Sanders was everywhere. And then the Pope started chiming in, telling everybody that they needed to read the book, Lord of the World. It was written a hundred years ago about a Vermont senator winning the presidency and destroying the Catholic Church. And right after that, he announced a 
uh, once in a lifetime trip to the Americas and he came to America and went to New York and went to DC and went to the White House. And when he went to the White House, he went with a briefcase. And when he left the White House, he left with a book. And it was never reported who the book was, but shortly after that, the Pope stopped telling people to read the book, Lord of the World, and he even invited Bernie Sanders to the Vatican and his wife so that he could apologize to them for running his mouth, and then he stepped out of it. And what what nobody knows is that the guy, the retired CIA agent who runs the White House bookshop, found my book just before the Pope announced his trip to America. And I think my book was the one in the Pope's briefcase. And I have all these weird technology things taking place in my house. And I have data analytics and I can see where some people are from and where some people don't want you to look. Mm-hmm. And it's a creepy, it is scary. It is a terrifying time in our country. And for, you know, for 2016, we were, I heard so many theories and fears about how scary the Clintons were and they would just kill you rather than deal with you. But these are the Russians we are talking about, right? They openly poison people. They do whatever they want to do. And the Republicans are in bed with them. The NRA is in bed with them. I never thought I'd live to say it in my life. And maybe it's because I'm part of that Red Dawn generation from the 80s, where I remember Russians as being the threat and being our enemy. But we now live in a time where people would rather be Russian than be Democrat. And I don't understand that at all uh, yeah i don't either i i was born in 1981 so i remember all of it as well yeah it it is something has to change and people don't trust regular politicians and i don't blame them i don't either i don't either you, you you send them to do one thing and then they end up doing 10 million other things and and it there's so much partisan Partisan politics, the behavior, they do things for political expediency, and it, it, it's disgusting. And a lot of these people have been in office, some of them longer than either one of us have been alive. Some of them are good, some of them are bad, but we have to clean house. These people have to go. And I'm, I would love to think that we're, we're going to be able to do it in November in this blue wave that we're going to be able to stem the red tide. But I, I don't know. And, and I know it's going to take everybody on board every second of every day. And we're going to have to call out these people who are rooting against our country. It has been going on for a long time, but now we're seeing that they're openly rooting for Russia. And this is, this is a time of treason in our country. This is something I never thought I would live to see for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah I agree. But even if it means sacrificing everything, Right. Mm. you're supposed to, you're supposed to believe in something. You're, you're just supposed to do it. Yeah. And I have a nice, quiet, private life. I have a nice, calm, quiet, private life. You know, I could enjoy it, but here I am chasing this craving. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think that, um, having a private life now will do you wonders when you are finally, at that point of the candidacy because 
another thing with Trump is he's on all the social medias constantly. And I feel as a president of the United States of America, yeah, social media is great, but you should not be tweeting things and the stupidest stuff that he's come up with. It's just so ridiculous. Um, But uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you is through all of your life experiences, do you feel that's shaped you into being ready for, for this uh, fight, I guess you call it. Yes. And I can look back and see how everything came together to prepare me for certain things so that I would be ready for this. This has been this, you know, from where I was born to how I was raised to the to the way my mother was about money and the budget and the the way I have, um, you know, personally handled my personal business as a bill collector, as a mortgage underwriter, I was working, you know, on September 11th, um, managing a team of mortgage loan loan counselors there. They're collectors who call to about your defaulted mortgage payment before it gets to foreclosure and they discuss loss mitigation with you and, you know, work on your budget and get you on a repayment plan or do whatever they can do to keep you from moving into foreclosure. And nobody wanted to work. We had done a staff meeting that morning and we had done some team building things and we were all feeling emotional and sensitive. And we came out of this conference room to discover that the Pentagon had been bombed and one of the towers had already dropped. And we were all just in a complete and total state of shock. Remember hearing about the plane going down in Pennsylvania and one of my employees asking me, because there was a rumor at the time that that the, the American government had shot it down, that Right. Rather than allow it get to where it was going, because it was going to Camp David, they shot it down. Um, and I, I just remember giving my my employees, my staff, a pep talk, and you know, trying to get their head in the game because borrowers didn't want to talk on the phone about their defaulted mortgages. Planes were falling from the sky. Nobody right. cared. Yeah. It was a rough day. It was a rough day. And I, I remember giving my staff a, a, a pep talk, and one of my employees said, "What are you doing here?" Why are you here? And I said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I'm here. This is where I work. I'm gainfully employed here. I've been here for several years. I'm your boss. And he said, no, seriously, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. What is it that you really want to do? And I said, I want to get into politics. I want to be president. And he said, run, go now, run for whatever is available. Go now. And I said, no, I am here for a reason. I'm learning important things here now. I've been put here for this purpose and I'm going to learn what I'm supposed to learn. And I'll tell you, doing those foreclosures after the moratorium ended at, at from the people post September 11th was the hardest decisions I ever made in my entire adult professional life. And I, I never hated and regretted anything as much as I did doing that. Um, jumping to mortgage underwriting was a, a, a natural transition for me, looking at people's debts, figuring how much they could pay, you know, with looking at houses, all of that was much better than 
foreclosing. Um, but it all came back together for me when I was at Deutsche Bank and I had the um, responsibility of writing their policies and procedures. So what we hear today, we hear this latest tax plan has been uh, cash out on the American people. And I want the American people to know that I know exactly how to collect on that debt. I've written those policies and procedures, and I understand the deficiency judgment phase and how to collect those assets from the people who think that they've hidden them. And I want the American public to know that I've been doing this my whole life, and I've been prepared for this, and I will get us our money back. I refuse to believe that we don't make more than enough money in this country to pay for everything we need. Oh, I, I again, agree. Cause I mean, we're, I think the U S is the highest has the highest debt ratio than any other country. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for us to fix that. We, we have to address um, our debt. We have to resolve our tax dis- disputes, our issues in regards to health care. We have a bunch of things that need to be reevaluated and reprioritized, and we need to resolve our money issues. How many times have we? can you count throughout history where governments have gone to war with each other over unpaid debt? Yeah. Um, we're still the biggest guido on the block, right? Nobody is going to fight us. Nobody would want to fight us. But Trump is running around like a crazy man taunting people. And we have scared plenty of countries on this earth already. There's no reason for us to continue saber, saber rattling or terrifying them to the any further than we already have. We are the biggest baddest on the planet, on the block. And there is no reason for us to be deliberately nasty to people. And Trump is taking it so out of control. He thinks that he's conquering continents, and that's not what we're doing here. This isn't about conquering continents. This has always been about expanding democracy and providing a better quality of living for other human beings. And it's time for us to get back to our roots. Now, maybe we did it wrong. There's a lot of things that we've done wrong throughout history. I'm going to be the first person to say it. We have an opportunity to fix it now and to get it right going forward. And I'd like to help with that. Uh, I think we need all the help we can get. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to take, it's going to take creative out of the box thinkers. You know, we, we've got people who they, they have a, a, a path, they have a plan, they have a process. And if they get rid of this and if they get rid of this and they get rid of this, they can get all that money back. They, they think that they're winning something in return and it, it, it's not sustainable. You know, it, it's just not this trickle down economics, this massive wealth hoarding. You know, we, we talked about the redistribution of wealth how many years ago. And we're, what we're seeing now is that the inequality is even higher than it's ever been. And they thought they were going to do this tax plan and they were going to cash out on the American people and get even more money from us. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to bolster their defenses for what's coming. They know that it is coming. So they're just trying to get as much as they can while they can. And what I want everybody to know is I know how to get it. All right. So a couple other questions I had for you. Uh, one of which is, uh, 
you, you know, you always hear in the media, you know, uh, greenhouse effect and global warming. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, the current climate change? So I believe that we need to embark on a massive decarbonization effort across the planet. I don't think that we can accurately quantify the impact the reduction in oxygen has had on the impact of humans across the planet. Let's just talk about humans for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're hungry, when you're tired, you're cranky, you're irritable, we need oxygen to live. We have depleted the ability to produce oxygen by 50% on this planet in the last 10 years. And if we don't do something to put it back in, we're not going to be able to breathe anymore. We're all going to die. It is foolish for us to continue on this path. But oxygen you know, these plants have a, a healing ability to um, magically suck up carbon dioxide and spit out oxygen, but we can also use them for things like textiles and fibers and building, and and they they have wonderful medicinal benefits as well. So I think that that we need to take that into consideration and and. And there was a bill that recently came through from Mitch McConnell doing industrial hemp. And one of the things that most people don't understand about Kentucky is before coal was big, their biggest biggest catch crump, crop was industrial hemp. And that is the key to saving a lot of our planet, our greenhouse effects, our economy. There's a large benefit that needs to be taken into consideration and invested in and done for the benefit of our planet. But I also don't think that we fully understand continental drift and the way the land moves across the planet. And we're seeing it every day with earthquakes Quakes and hurricanes and volcanoes and these massive storms. And we've been talking about California falling off into the ocean right. for as long as I've been alive. And now we're very aware of the super volcano that exists under Yellowstone. And I believe the next massive land shifts are coming. And I believe that we're not remotely prepared. And one of the reasons I'm an advocate for the death penalty for pedophiles and rapists and violent murderers is because I I fear the next massive land shifts. And when real mayhem breaks out, not the cute all state guy, real mayhem breaks out. I do not want to see a situation where pedophiles and rapists and violent murderers are heavily armed. And that's what I see right now. And that that is terrifying to me. And so you know, we, you, you can't run around screaming the sky is falling, but we can pay attention to the fact that the land is moving. You know, we have these mudslides and these fires and there's so much about the, the geography and the makeup of our planet, of our country, um, from mountains and plains and rivers. There, there is so much that we we don't consider because it's set in stone in our mind. Right. The land is there. It's going to be there always. That river is always going to be there. Oh my goodness. Where did all this lava come from? <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you try to laugh about things, right? You can tell a lot about an author by what they write, right? There was that yeah. woman that just um, wrote those murder mysteries about killing her husband, and then she killed her husband. And here I, I write a fictional story, but the chapter that I wrote about climate change and considering our planet like an engine, and I use a classic car to explain climate change because I really don't think that we can do anything until we get the gearheads involved, you know? And if you if you think about our planet as an engine and there's lava and there's moving parts like pistons and there's oil, right? The last thing you want when you've got your best engine that you've always wanted in your dream car, the last thing you want to do is take the oil out. The oil's there for a reason. The oil lubricates things and helps things move. And if we take the oil out, we're going to be in trouble. We're making stuff every day that we can't store, and we're contaminating our rivers. We're contaminating our land. We're, we, we're, we're, we're destroying our own drinking water. You know, we don't take care of ourselves or our planet the way we should, and we need to do something about this immediately. You know, you, you go to a fair or a festival, and there's just trash everywhere because nobody wants to be bothered to bend over and pick something up, but we're going to have to start doing something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, my wife and I are vegan, and I, I mean, everything that you're saying, my wife has said to me for a long time, I mean you constantly see people flicking out their cigarette butts, just throwing their cans on the ground outside their cars. And it's like, we wonder why we live in a trash heap. Yep. It it is. It is awful. Look at Hiroshima and look at Japan. We bombed them. We dropped three nuclear bombs on them and we just destroyed them. And when a sports game is over, the Japanese all stay behind and clean up the mess. They're very polite. They're very respectful. They, they, they're kind. They don't have a lot of theft. They, they're, they have grown from what we did to them. Now, you know, we ended World War II at, at whatever the cost was. But look at the way they have evolved and the way that we have evolved since that has happened. This is not in honor of the greatest generation. This is not in honor of the um, ambition that this country was set forth on. We, we need to fix this and we need to do better. And it's, it's going to be a challenge, but we're Americans and we can do anything we want to do. We just got to want to do it. And there and for the first time in history, you know, one of the things I wanted to do with this book is I wanted to, you know, I really thought there was going to be this huge movement that was going to come my way. And when it, when it went Trump's way, it was disheartening. Um, but I wanted to get people involved. And so for whatever Trump has accomplished more people are involved today than there ever have been before. And now is the time. It is, it really is wonderful because people are participating. They're getting out. They're getting involved. They're voting. They're learning about their elected officials. People are running for office in droves. It's glorious to behold Americans when they're motivated. It's spectacular. And we've got this woman's walkout today. Oh. 
Could you imagine if every woman in this country refused to go back to work until we resolved some of this nonsense like they did in Iceland back in the 70s? That huh. we would take a huge hit in our workforce. I, I can guarantee that. I, I mean, it would be it would it would stop everything because women are more than 50 percent of the population. They're more than 50 percent of the workforce. We're 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 here and we're you know, there's that titta in all of us, that angry woman that we try to keep under control so that we don't let her loose all the time. But sometimes you got to let her out to play a little, you know, you got to let the freak flag fly a little. And now is our time. We got to, we got to stand up. We got to be tough. We got to speak out. We got to speak up for things that we believe in, you know, and and even if your voice shakes, you still got to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Now something that uh, I saw in your bio and I saw it a couple of times as you say that you see and exist within the world differently than normal people because of the way you're raised. What, what do you mean by that? So I have always heard throughout my life about normal people. Is there, there were normal people. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, whenever I was young and my parents were so mean and I would say, God, I just want to be normal people. Can't we just do normal things? And my mom would say, how do you know they're what's normal? How do you know we're not what's normal? And now I look around and I don't know what normal is, but I don't think I want to be normal. I've always been a black sheep. I've always been an outsider, you know, because I got a weird name and uh, I I got weird perspectives and nobody was ever, I've raised myself basically like a feral animal. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm living off the kindness of strangers. Um, I, I'm not normal. I'm different. Most people have good parents. You know, you get into a spanking conversation with somebody who came from a normal home, a nice home where their parents loved them and didn't tell them there was always something wrong with you. Um, and, and they, there's a, there's a different camaraderie that they have for each other. There's this love and respect that they have for their parents, um, for their family, for their community, for their, their circle. Um, and, and, I I don't really have that. I was a young child. Remember looking around at my parents, they were fighting and throwing stuff at each other and yelling at each other. And I remember thinking these people are morons. I'm not going to, when I grew up, I'm not going to act like this. My children aren't going to be raised like this. I'm not going to do anything that they did. And I haven't always known what to do as a parent, but I always knew what not to do. And so maybe what I did wasn't what the normal parents did because they had better role models and people who set examples for them. But my kids turned out pretty good all the same. And we've done pretty well. And we just think about things just a little differently. We just come from a different angle on most issues. And we, because of that, we try different things. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And we, I learn more from my mistakes and my failures than I do from my successes. And to me, it's not really about what you got wrong in life. It's about what you learned when you did something wrong. And I've learned a lot. I've got a ton of lessons learned from my weird experiences that have made me not, you know, not really, I just don't, 
I'm just very different. And I, I get it. You know, people tell their stories about what their, their parents are like, you know, someone will always say, you know, what was your dad thinking when you, when he picked your name? And, <laughs> you know, my response is my name is proof. My daddy was an asshole. <laughs> he was an asshole. You know, I mean, he, my, he was a violent alcoholic and he picked my name 10 years before I was even born. I'm named after a country Western song in the sixties. That's just itching for a remake now. Um, but he thought the girl in that, that song was it and whatever it was, if he ever had a daughter, he wanted her to be just like that. And that has caused me more trouble Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> in my life. I hated my name when I was a kid until I was about 16 when it became a fantastic pickup line. And I've been enjoying it ever since until Facebook came along and I discovered that my name is actually a Indian sex goddess. And I get the weirdest Facebook friend request <laughs> from Indian men and I'm just like no go away well to be fair I also get those same requests and I don't have your names so. <laughs> I um I got a, a scam email a couple of weeks ago you know it used to be someone was always looking for a Nigerian prince right, right. And now this one was was super nasty that they had gained access to my computer and I had visited a, a an adult site and they had video that they were going to blast the internet with and I thought oh that'll be my viral moment for sure <laughs> shit <laughs> I'm like I don't remember going to any adult sites let's just assume this is a scam right. and report it to the FBI and move on with our day <laughs> yeah so. Um, I, 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 I don't even know where I was going after that, to be honest with you. I probably shouldn't have shared that with you. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, there's, and there's some ways all of us are dealing with the same things. You know, it, it doesn't matter if we're wealthy or if we're poor or, you know, if we have a crazy storyline or we're we're all Americans and we're in all of this together and we have to find a way to, to pull it together, to help each other, to help our kids. And I have, you know, through all my friends, whether they've been far to the right or far to the left. And I, I always say I'm swinging straight up the middle and nobody's pitching to me. The one thing that most of us can agree on is the death penalty for pedophiles. And you know, some people are real, far to the left, they don't want to discuss the death penalty at all. And our justice system is broken and it has plenty of room for a reboot and an audit and to correct a lot of mistakes and problems that are rampant in our system. Um, you know, and then some people want to get real creative in the ways that they want to provide the death penalty for pedophiles. And, and I have to discourage that too, because, um, you know, we, we are a country of laws. There's no room for vigilante justice in our justice system. Um, things have to be done in a way that doesn't, um, that isn't uh, considered cruel and unusual punishment. You know, we, we have to be very careful about how we talk about some of these things. And, and people tend to get real creative when you start talking about the death penalty for pedophiles. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've heard it 
all. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it all too. And it's like, okay, whew. okay we're glad we can agree on that. Right. Calm down with the, <laughs> the other ideas. What, we can just whatever <laughs> the state's way of right. doing it is how we're going to handle that. Right. <laughs> you know, um, you know, maybe we can, you know, use some of the heroin that we, that's on the streets now that are, you know, drugged with fentanyl, you know, give them an overdose. I, I'm sure there's a way that everybody can come to a nice agreement. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's, you know, one of the things, but for me really, it's just finding something that most of us can agree on. And if we can find one thing that most of us can agree on, and this is hopefully it, it opens up the door for us to talk about all the other things that we got to fix. You know, um, healthcare, I support Medicare for all, but not quite the way they're explaining it. See, I don't understand why we need Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, the VA, CHIP, government employee health care programs. The, the, TRICARE has TRICARE Standard, TRICARE Prime, TRICARE for Life. We have all these different government health care programs, and they're all getting paid for out of the same bucket by the same people, by the same we the people. But the, each of them have their own set of red tapes and their own bureaucracies and their own staff that in order to run them. And each of them pay a different percentage towards your bills. If you have social security disability or you're receiving social security and you're using medicare it only pays 80 percent of whatever that service is and it is it's it's ridiculous most of us are paying into something that we're never going to use and we have to find a way to combine all these government health care programs into one americare plan and we have to use our our tax deduction that comes out of our paycheck to pay for it. I don't want to hear another Obamacare fee. I don't want to hear it, whether they think it's a fee or a tax or whatever it is. I don't want to hear Bernie Sanders' opinion about how much in addition people need to pay. I want to figure out how we pay for it with what we're already paying. So we have this this Medicare tax deduction that comes out of people's payroll, and it's capped at $120,000 a year. So if you make $150,000 a year, you only pay into the Medicare up to $120,000, and then you're not taxed on the rest of it. I'm sorry, those days are over. We're going to have to lift the cat and we're going to have to pay people a better wage so that they can pay more money into Medicare. But I absolutely disagree with this idea that we we charge people who make more money more for federal income taxes. This idea we used to. We used to have an 80% tax rate on the wealthy and on businesses in our country. And that's what got us into the situation that we're in right now. It was cheaper to buy a politician than it was to pay their taxes. And now they have worked the system so that if they know the system well enough, we, the people, are paying them. They're not paying anything in taxes, and they're making money off of our backs in the process. It is time for a flat rate tax the same percentage for everyone churches schools old people rich people poor people everybody pays period all these write-offs and deductions they have to go now i personally believe that it can be 10 percent total that includes the medicare deduction but i think in the beginning i will have to have the medicare deduction 
in addition to the 10%. To tide it over, yeah, I think that would be the right choice there. And we can use the IRS to dual purpose and provide short-term payroll loans to small businesses who need help meeting payroll while we address the wage disparity because we have to do something about wages. And I don't know that $15 an hour is the right number, to be honest with you. What I think at this point in time we should do, there used to be the idea that if you made your wit, your age, you were making good money. If you were, I remember I was 17 years old and I got my first job and I was making 20 grand a year. So I was doing good because I was making more than my age. Now you can't possibly attach the minimum wage to somebody's age because old people would never get hired. And the age discrimination would just completely destroy us. But if we take into consideration the fact that we're in a new millennium and it's almost like we're all just teenagers together in 2018 and we've just barely become legal and started thinking about voting for the first time. So if we took the, the wage and we made it $18.18 an hour and gave a mandatory $1.01 an hour raise every January the 1st, by the time we get to 2020, I think we'd have the hindsight to see paying people is the best way to produce more tax revenue. That I, I think that's the probably one of the best ideas I've heard because we are at a pivotal point right now where taxes are kind of crippling the normal American compared to raising them up. And I mean, to, to kind of get to where taxes are not crippling, it's just something you do. I mean, you have to do something. So Raising the wages, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, and everybody has to pay. You know, businesses used to employ their own truck drivers. So one of the things that I learned as a bill collector was the importance of how every different part of our economy, our, our you know, our workforce plays a part in our economy. So after September 11th, when the gas prices spiked, I spent a lot of time talking to truck drivers who – and what I learned was that for years, businesses employed their own trucks. They bought the trucks. They maintained the trucks. They paid the state taxes to drive the trucks. They paid for the gas. They paid the employee to drive the truck. They paid somebody to load the truck. They paid somebody to unload the truck. Businesses paid this themselves. And at some point in time, they decided they would outsource the transportation of their goods to private individual contractors. And they told the truck drivers, if you want to keep driving, buy your own truck and deliver this stuff for us and I'll pay you to do that. And so the the responsibility for paying for the truck and paying for the gas and paying for the insurance and paying somebody to help load it suddenly fell on the truck drivers. And they had written their contracts so that they could make enough money to pay for their truck and to pay for their insurance and to pay for their gas and still be able to deliver goods all over the country. And it was a great boom to businesses because businesses no longer had to do it. We had a bunch of um, 
self-employed people all over the country building small businesses. So it looks good for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after the tax prices exploded, the contracts were written where the truck drivers were going to pay for the gas, no matter what the price of the gas was. And so they still, in order to keep their contract and keep future business, they, they had to pay out of their pocket, the difference and gas to transport goods all over the country. And these people were buried and get, truck drivers were buried in their gas expenses. And as we start looking towards gas prices going back up again, if our wage had just kept up with the price of gas, we'd be in a better situation now than we are in right than we currently are. When I was, uh, when I got my first real job working at fast food, when I was in high school, I was making five twenty-five an hour in Oregon, and gas was a dollar a gallon. If the minimum wage was five times the price of gas today, we'd we'd be looking close to eighteen dollars an hour. Wow. And we would be in a better situation. The price of gas, one of those commodities, the wage has to be, almost has to be tied to it because we don't want to find ourselves in another situation again where gas explodes and then it causes all these other, these other businesses to raise their expenses as well. Yeah, I agree. We are coming close to the end of the show, so I wanted to give you a chance yep. to tell everybody where they can find you, find your book. It's The Mic is Yours. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, you can find me at charmansmith.com. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter, at either at Taming the Titta or at Charmin Smith for President 2020. Um, my book, Taming the Titta, T-I-D-A, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Kindle, any online retailer that you would go to to purchase a book, you can find my book there. Um, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate all of you. I hope you will consider voting for me in 2020. Please go to my website if you want to volunteer or share information. I appreciate you all. I'm an American too. And I really do believe that there's nothing so wrong with our country today that it can't be corrected with a little common sense and compassion. And thank you for being on Beyond Reason. Thank you very much. All right, folks, that was Sharman Smith, Democratic candidate for 2020. Make sure you go check out her website, check her out on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, a lot of stuff that she said to to take into consideration and uh, something to look forward to in 2020 when that election finally comes. That is all I've got for you guys this week. Uh, as I've been saying the past couple of weeks, I am a part of two great networks now, which is Black Swamp Digital Radio and Conflict Radio on YouTube. If you are looking for me on YouTube, Conflict Radio is exclusively where I'm at. I had decided to take my YouTube channel down because it was relatively new and Conflict was trying to run my shows but could not if I was putting them up on my own. So check those two out. Make sure you check out beyondreason.net and make sure you check out paranormalforum.net who is always supporting the show each and every week. I appreciate them so much. 
and uh, love listening to their feedback for every episode of Beyond Reason. So until next week, folks, keep those minds open. This is Justin Cancellari signing off. <laughs>